cool. We're good to go. Probably get some arm flapping going on. Try and take off. Should, should be a little bit exciting. Cool. So, actually, we've all sat down. I'm just going to break your comfort level. Could everyone just please, just please stand? So this is the last week of Gospel Detox. Been talking six weeks of Gospel Detox. And this morning, I'd like to see, and I think God would like to see some breakthrough in some people's lives this morning. So I just want us to just focus on Jesus just one more time. We've been worshipping, we've been preparing, we've been seeking God this morning. But just to look away to heaven, just to lift your hands, put out your hands, however you prefer, just ready to receive from God this morning. His Holy Spirit is here. And His Spirit can heal, can refresh, can detox old mindsets. I believe there's an anointing of the Holy Spirit here for change and transformation this morning. So we're talking about gospel detox, six weeks, and I just would want to just take a couple of minutes just to recap some of the things we've talked about for the last few weeks, but just want to get some feedback about when you hear the word detox, what's just like one word that pops into your mind about detox? Uh, Brendan said juice, so I'm going (laughs) to... Thank you, Brendan and Mike. What's one word about detox? Clean. Clean. Anybody? Barry. Rehab. <laughs> <laughs> there's always one in the room. No, it's, it's true. <laughs> there's, there's many. Diff- there's, this is brainstorming. There's no right or wrong answers. Loretta. Yeah, yeah. Cleaning out. Yeah. Does it sound like gross and kind of messy? I don't know. I. I, I searched because I know about detoxes and things that are going on and I found, so I don't know about them, I'm not an expert, but I know there are these things that exist that I haven't touched yet. Because you hear about them in the media, I found a website, 36 foods that help detox and cleanse your entire body. It's exciting. Artichokes, apples, almonds, asparagus. Yeah. A- an anti-aging and 
waged the anti-aging battle with asparagus, avocados, basil, beetroot, blueberries, Brazil nuts, broccoli, broccoli sprouts, and everyone said, yay, <laughs> cabbage, cilantro, cinnamon. This one was funny. Number 16, dandelions. Who's eaten a dandelion before? Three? Okay. That's good. Yeah. About 50 years ago, when, when you were 20. <laughs> Ooh! Sorry, I'll, I'll, hand, I'll hand the mic back. So, there's this kind of thing about detox, is it's, it's cleansing. It, sometimes it could be uncomfortable. I can imagine if you're getting rid of certain things that are in your body, chemicals, that cleansing process can be uncomfortable, but it's a good thing in the end. So, gospel detox. What, what we've covered in the last uh, few weeks is in, um, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, Paul says to the Galatians, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Some translations, Paul says, you foolish Galatians. So we, we talked about that. We talked about uh, people being misled by others that are trying to pervert, and that means to change the gospel and to make it for, for, their, for their own means and their circumstances because they haven't been comfortable with what this gospel really means talked about what the true gospel is, the gospel of grace, not the gospel of I've got anything to do with it, but the gospel of Jesus just did it. And so so that's that's it. That's all that needs to happen. How the gospel is substitutionary, which means Jesus took our place. Like said in communion a couple of weeks ago, and I think Chris was preaching on it, he took our place on the cross. So the gospel is substitutionary. No other figurehead of any religion has ever taken the place of everybody else he took our place and nothing merits it as I said it's by grace alone that's it Jesus just did it we didn't do anything to earn it and we learned that any change to the gospel means it's no gospel at all if you add just one minute thing that's non-gospel to the gospel means it's no longer gospel so Brendan talked about the vacuum, and as soon as you let any air in there, it's no longer a vacuum. And last week we talked about how you can lose the gospel in churches. Churches can lose the gospel. Sure, you're so faithful. I forgot to say you can sit down. Let's all give Jordan a hand this morning. <laughs> So, yeah, we can lose the gospel in, in churches, and, and, and that's a risk, and, and I need to measure myself and what I say up here, and, and we need to consider everything by the Bible, and even churches like us could just be a couple of things away from just kind of slipping. How does that work? We could say, come and surrender yourself to Jesus, and in that we're putting the emphasis on our surrender, not the fact that Jesus died on the cross. So it's we still had something to do with that. Uh, whereas he, he did it 2,000 years ago. So nothing we could do now would change what happened 2,000 years ago. We just accept that he did it 2,000 years ago. 
And the other one is it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're a good person. There are churches and liberal groups that believe that and other religions and trying to say there's many paths to God. But Jesus says, I am the way. And also churches could be intolerant of small differences in dress and custom. And how we, we have cultural things, but they're not rules. But there are some churches that have rules that if you don't turn up in a suit and tie, you don't wear if you don't wear the right head covering garment thing, then you, you don't don't fit in that church. And that's not what Jesus is about. That's not what the gospel is about. We have cultural things because we live in Adelaide in twenty fifteen and it's just in the area we live in, but they're not rules to that get you into the kingdom of heaven. I'm not gonna stand up here and preach and bare feet because you don't want to see my feet it's a cultural thing that it's just tidy to wear shoes and sometimes i might try and wear nicer shoes than other times but we we just try and it's just cultural so all of these things are going on to the galatians and and paul's that people are trying to kind of just tweak the gospel make some changes and then in verse eight uh, paul pronounces these people as cursed which sounds highly dramatic and it it is so so he says but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you let them be under god's curse as we have already said so now i say again if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted let them be under god's curse so in the first verse if I could just have it up, Jane, thanks, is Paul's talking hypothetically. He's saying, if we or an angel would preach a different gospel, because he's saying, you know, I'm the Apostle Paul. I, was, I met Jesus on the road to Damascus. I have no reason to give you anything other than God, because I was, I was killing Christians, and Jesus met me. I realized what I was doing. I turned around. He saved me by grace. There was no other person on earth that deserved the gospel less than Paul. And Jesus saved him. And he's saying, but even if me, the apostle Paul, or an angel, give you a different gospel. So if we're sitting here and... (laughs) Hallelujah, hallelujah. This angel just rocks into the room and says, I am an angel of heaven. You can get eternal life if you just go out and wash that person's car or go earn, go pay, pay your tithe or do something. That He says even if an angel were to ever do that, ignore them, they are cursed. Because even the, there's only one gospel, the gospel of grace, the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we add anything to it, better watch out. Now, in the, in the second verse, if I can have that up, Jane, in verse 9, he says, As we have already said, so now I say again. Now, in this verse, he's not actually just repeating the thing he said in the first verse. He's actually saying, I have been to Galatia. I have talked to you face to face, and I have said this to you before. This is not just kind of a poetic repetition thing. He's saying, okay, I'll put it in my letter, but here I am. You weren't doing this before, so I have to say this again. And if if you read through the Bible, if Paul has to repeat himself, he's getting pretty serious with, with, with the intent behind it. So, 
But it points out to us, sometimes we need reminding of a truth as well. So even us, we, we, we're in church, we, we, we know about the gospel, we know about Jesus, but we still come each week and we're working through Galatians and we're learning about the gospel and we need reminding of the truth to keep us centred and make sure we, we're not one of the churches that could slip to the left or slip to the right. Now, it, it might sound pretty dramatic with this uh, curse idea. Now, it, it actually means, uh, in, in the uh, original language, means to ban or being dedicated to destruction. So he, Paul's saying, there's a little bit of study of the verse, he's saying, if you curse, you're, you're banned or you're dedicated to destruction. He's not saying that I'm going to do that as Paul. He's saying uh, the tense means that God, God's going to take care of you which is probably worse. Yeah, you, you don't want to be the one where uh, Paul's saying, you yeah, know, that's pretty severe, so I won't deal with that. I'll just leave that to Jesus. So, yeah, it's saying the idea is anything that's set aside for destruction by God. So he's not banning or cursing the people that are saying these things. He's asking God, he says, let them be to act against those people doing the wrong things. So since the gospel of Christ belongs to God, it's up to God, he'll punish any that do distort it. So so that's a scary thing, sort of. It is for, you know, we, we stand up here and preach and so Brandon, Chris, myself, Vicky, anyone that's sharing from the pulpit, it, it, we need to be accountable for the words that we carry. And also, you need to be accountable to know the Bible and to understand if we might be slipping and to hold us accountable to the word as well. Because the Bible is our, our center point of truth. What Paul is saying is that these different gospels, they, the curse that they bring how that can work is if I stand up here and give you something that's off the gospel, I could be affecting your eternity. Um, I could be affecting whether you make it to heaven because I could be bringing condemnation on you that could uh, take you away from your relationship with God. And then in turn, God will judge me for that, and that sounds all pretty severe. But it's truth. We, we need to be concerned with and need to measure the gospel and measure the truth, and, and measure what is being said and amongst ourselves, and especially those that teach. The Bible does talk about, in other verses, those that teach need to be accountable for what they're sharing. But also in the present, so that's talking about eternity, but in this present life, in, in here in this room, not just once we die, it also can bring in this, that fear and anxiety and condemnation, because we might be teaching something that people might be aspiring to and, and so that's kind of where this curse can come in because I could say you need to kind of earn your way or you need to earn respect with God you need to be praying you need to say this so many times and that just brings fear and condemnation for it because it all these rules you can't live up to so that makes it hard and then that turns into uh, I don't feel worthy, and then, oh, no, I'm not living up to God's standard, and that's condemnation. And that is not what the gospel is about at all. It's the gospel of grace. What Paul talks about is he's saying, this gospel that I teach is like, it's the plumb line or the center point which to go off. 
Does anybody know what a plumb line is in the room? I don't, uh, didn't own one until yesterday. This is a plumb line. David is the DIY handyman at the moment. He, he likes to look at things from eye to ten. So a plumb line, if I was to sort of swing that, you see it's a pretty dead weight and it's not like a pendulum that will just kind of keep rocking back and forth. It'll find the center point using gravity. These are used, Jane, if I could please have uh, got some pictures there, to measure vertical accuracy. So just a couple of basic images. So that's just a cartoon style, but used to measure vertical walls. Uh, and there's another one there, which is kind of a, a, a photo. So bricklaying to measure when you're building up and up and up. And particularly, it's been around for thousands of years, this um, plumb line. It's called a plumb bob at the bottom. And there's one, one more image there, just a, just a cartoon representation. So he's saying the plumb line is the gospel of Jesus, anything that's off to the side. Now, it is, is not the gospel at all, because this is the center point. When building old, old school cathedrals and buildings over the last couple of thousand years, they would build these plumb lines and make a center point in the floor. And I haven't seen them personally, I haven't been to Europe, but... And they'll make a mark in the floor, and some of these still exist. Then as they build up, they have the center point of what the, the spire that they're building. They hang this from the center point, and if, it's, if it drifts off the, instead of being on the pulpit, if it suddenly starts to drift off to the side, they know they're not building straight as they go up. If it slowly goes to the left, they know they're going to start creating the Leaning Tower of Pisa. I know that's more of the foundations, but they can use that to measure what is vertically straight. So he's saying, this, this verse, he's saying, this is the, your plumb line, your measurement of truth is, is it the gospel of Jesus? Is anything added to it? Then it's not the gospel of Jesus. So he said, use this to measure all truth claims that might come your way. And, and it's whether they're from external sources or internal. So the external are, are the preachers and teachers and and things you might listen to, There's l the internet's a great resource, but it doesn't mean that everybody who's got a blog or a web page and talks about the Bible is actually knows what they're talking about or it has a relationship with God. I've personally seen a few that, yes, have a lot of explaining to do one day to Jesus. <laughs> and, th and that's where we'll, we'll leave it. <laughs> so... Those external influences, yeah, they could be thinkers, it could be preachers. So he's saying, Paul is saying to the Galatians to evaluate his own messages. He's saying, everything I tell you, everything in the future, measure it back to this gospel. I might go a bit bonkers or I might meet people that try and pull me astray. And if I ever do, if I ever change from here, ignore what I say in the future, listen to this gospel, not, nothing else. The, the Bible, uh, John also in the Bible, uh, gives us a way of these external influences and how we can measure if someone is sharing and is from, from Jesus. It says in 1 John 4, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. 
But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you've heard is coming. Even now, it's already in the world. So he's saying, do not believe every spirit, but ask them if they can confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, then they're from God. If they, if they can't say that, then they're not. So he, he gives us a measurement, uh, particularly when dealing with spiritual things, but it's a, a measurement of if somebody confesses that Jesus is Lord, then he's giving us the tools to understand who, which, side they, which side they're on. And, and are they in the gospel? Are they sharing something a bit different? So, so we have some of those external influences and uh, we can measure them using that verse. We can say, do, do these spirits say they're from God? Do they acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God? But what, what this all breaks down to is, is, it sounds, okay, so, you know, if an angel comes into the room and says something else, we should ignore them, and, okay, that's, that's great. But how, how do I apply that other than external people that might be sharing things to me? How do I, what does that mean to me? Basically, you, you could reword that or say, we shouldn't judge or measure the, the gospel by our feelings or convictions, or, or our experiences. So what Paul's saying is this angel might come into the room, that might be our experience, might come and say something great, and, but something that's different. That's, that's not the new gospel that we start listening to. He's saying, this is the gospel. This Bible, this word we've given you, this is the gospel. This doesn't get superseded by somebody who kind of comes in a bit loony and looks like an angel. You know, th- there's... There's whole religions that have been formed by people who have seen visions and written them down and they're leading millions and many more in a different path because they say, oh, Jesus was, yeah, he's 2,000 years ago, but 200 years ago, I had visions. I I, I saw these things and I wrote down these new books and these are new teachings that kind of supersede the Bible and kind of, we, we might listen to part of the Bible but not all of it and, and we've got, and he's saying, if, if you need a, a measurement to see whether they're of, of God or not, Paul's saying it right here, if an angel, if anyone would profess in a, in a vision to see anything that does not measure up to the Bible, it's not right, it's not the gospel and God will judge them. And so we should not judge or measure the Bible or the gospel by our feelings, convictions, or experiences. We should judge or measure our experiences by the Bible. What does the Bible say about that situation? Not, I've had this situation, and that's great, and I'll consider the Bible, like, I'll see how that affects my mind, and then I'll go look at the Bible later. It's... This has happened in my life. I've spoken to this person. I've heard this teaching. How does that measure up with the Bible? Like I've got to look through the Bible at that situation, see how that, how that works out. So the internal influences could be our feelings, uh, sensations we might have, experience. So we could, be, we could walk into situations. We might we think it's a church meeting. We might feel things. We might experience things. People might be teaching. and go, you know, it's, Is it hype? Is it Holy Spirit? What, what's our measurement of if that's of God or not? Is it the gospel or are we going more off our experiences and, and our emotions? 
and, and the feelings and sensations we have. Because if we go off our feelings, I know the gospel for me would be very up and down. It'd be uh, super tired to super busy to uh, just want to chill out. To if it relies on my feelings, the the gospel it, it has no no measurement at all. It'd be all over the place. And and it's not just a matter of perspective. Sometimes we might hear about oh you've got to change your perspective on your situation. It's, it's a matter of priorities. It's getting things in the right order. Are we considering the Bible in light of the situation? Or do we consider the situation first and then go, I hope that matches up with the Bible so I can justify that situation that happened to me? So, you might have been wondering what's behind me. I am too. So, uh, hopefully this will help make a little bit of sense and it won't fall over when I open it up. So it might look a bit bright. Hi guys. Who's that good looking rooster there? So I've put this here as an illustration just to say, you know, consider this frame. This just happens to have a mirror in it. Consider that like our circumstances, our feelings, our emotions. So when, when we're standing here looking at our circumstances, feelings or emotions, sometimes those situations are so big, all, all we can see is ourself. And we, we have no perspective or understanding or things that are going on. But tucked in behind, if we've got our order, things in the wrong order, we could have the word. We could have the Bible represented by this, this picture frame here. So we've got it behind. Most of you probably didn't see it because I sneakily tucked it right in. So if you were to look on the side, it's just a, just a visual representation of how we might consider things mentally or spiritually. Look, the situation could be so big, the experience we have could be so, so overwhelming or so daunting or so amazing that all we can see, we, we look, we're trying to look at the Bible but we just kind of see the situation, just bounces back. And, and if, you, if you ever stood in a room full of mirrors and it just bounces back and forth and back and forth and it kind of disappears off into the distance. If we change that situation around and put the Bible first, put the gospel first, the gospel of grace and see what does the gospel say. So there's a situation here. I'm looking through the frame saying, representing the Bible. What does the, the Bible say? about the situation that's happening. And then that will get reflected back through the Word and we will have an answer for that situation and what we should be doing or uh, what our measurement is and whether that weighs up or matches up. So that, that, there's the concept. Hopefully, this will make, we'll drill this home a little bit. So, and, and just bear in mind when, when I'm saying these things, I'm not saying that you... These aren't rules and regulations. These are, should be reactions to the grace of Jesus. So let's say I, I have feelings. Uh, let's say I have feelings. I, I do have feelings. It's not a hypothetical situation. I, I, I don't feel like going to church. Let, let's just put it. You know, so I've, I've had a, this, this frame represents I've had a rough week. 
you know, the, the boss is doing things and, you know, tough situation, family, just really tired. Sunday would be the only opportunity of the week to have a sleep in. I don't really feel like going to church. Okay. So, that's cool. If you have the Bible or the gospel back here and just considering the feelings or the situations, then that's the thing that's going to be forefront of mind. That's the thing you notice. And you look back, see your reflection and go, cool, that's, maybe I'll just skip church this week. Maybe I'll just skip it this month. But if we put, consider the gospel first, say, well, what does the Bible say about this? So I'm, I'm feeling tired. I'm, feel, I'm busy, family things, all those going on. Maybe the, the Bible might say, you know, do, do not forgo meeting together. Do not, you know, give up. And, and in Acts, it talks about the disciples gathered together for worship and prayer and breaking of bread. Do we consider that the Bible might say, okay, so I don't really feel like worshipping, going to church but Bible says in John 4 4 you dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world so do I go okay I've had a rough week yes I acknowledge that it's busy Bible says I oh, do not forgo meeting together I'll look at the situation and go oh okay I'm an overcomer because the one who is in me is greater than the one who is in the world and maybe I need to be at church, not because anyone told me from a microphone that it's a good thing to do and that we should do it and it's a requirement of being a member of the church. Because if you're hearing that, that's not the gospel of grace. That, that is hopefully not a reflection on how I'm communicating it, it's just a misinterpretation. What we should be saying is, I... Jesus died on the cross for me, gave me full access to the kingdom of God, and by, through him I am overcomer, and greater is he who is in me than is in the world. So I'm going to get to church to worship. I'm going to get there early, so I'm ready to worship, because I need to soak in his presence, because the week that's coming ahead, I need this over this. So I'm going to look at my situation through the word, see that coming back. Maybe it's the same for connect groups. You know, Monday nights, you know, start of the week, it might be nice just to have an early one sometimes and just get for the rest of the week. You know, I host a connect group. And so for church and connect group, we'll share that personally. The, the question of coming to a Sunday morning or should I go to church or should I not, it's not actually a question at all. It's, uh, it's in our calendar as a recurring event and it has been for the last 30 years. Not that I've had a calendar when I was one and two, but it's just a thing I do. It's like every other thing in my life, as far as the, the places I go, that, that is the most permanent one of them all. Jobs have come and gone. I just personally, like it's, it's not saying, you know, I've studied, I've lived in different places, but I've always gone to church on a Sunday morning, Sunday night in one church I was at because that, that was the, the service that was available. But every Sunday it's, I'm in church because I need the God who is greater that is in me than he who is in the world. I need to be encouraged. I need to be in his presence because that is going to equip me for the week that is coming. 
Now, as a thing of worship, uh, when, when I was in Sydney, some of you might know that I went to Bible college in Sydney at, at C3 and was there for three years. Now, every morning, something that happens is we, have, we had chapel every morning, which basically involves a one-hour church service before you have classes and go off doing other activities. So, in that time I was at college, I was probably in six to seven church services per week. Uh, not just one per week, but some, sometimes more if we were doing like trips and helping other churches. So we would come in and worship and we'd be in rows like this and there'd be band at the front and I made the decision about f- probably about a weekend in the first year that every morning, 8 a.m., the last thing I would feel like doing is being excited, worshipping, but I decided that I'm going to do something with this opportunity and I stood pretty much about here, you could say, and I would just, 8 o'clock, get in there, just make it a habit and, and that was the thing I was going to do because I needed that faith step for worship. It's, it wasn't about, oh, do I, am I going to feel like worshipping every, every morning for a whole year and when it gets in the middle of winter and it's cold and you know, it's raining and just kind of blowing in, I just want to chill out in the back and just hang out. So, no, you've you got to make a predetermined decision about how you're going to worship. So we'd come in, raise hands, get excited. Now, that, that was for a few different reasons. One was a faith step that no matter how I felt, would do that and make that a habit and build that habit. The second one was to not get distracted because I get very easily distracted by things and Carmen's nodding in the background. See, that is a case in point that I get distracted because I noticed she was nodding ahead. <laughs> so I would align myself here so I couldn't see. There weren't mirrors facing backwards so I couldn't see the people behind me. And it was also to encourage the worship team. People that were getting there at 7 a.m. to rehearse and worship in the middle of the week to kind of be a face of consistency. Did, was that true, George? Yep, George's nodding his head. So that, they would get there at 7 and say, well, if you can get there at 7, I'm going to get there at 8 and be ready to go and encourage you while everyone else traipses in 10, 15 minutes late, which can happen. Well, other, not everyone, but you know, a group of people. But as far as worship, so when, when it comes to worship, how do we consider do we say, oh, you know, I don't really feel like worshipping this morning, I'm just going to hang out in the back and, you know, all these things that are going on in my week. Like, uh, that, that's all I can see. Or do we put the word first and consider the word, consider the gospel and what Jesus has done, consider Psalms where it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. You know, it, it doesn't say, oh, you know, I'm just going to, like, chill out and wait for the band to kind of hit that anointed song, and, and, then, and then, then I'll be good, and, and I'll, I'll feel right, and I'll be comfortable, because then, then I'll kind of, there'll be thanksgiving and praise, and I'll just join in. No, no, what the Bible says is to, to get into the temple, to get into his presence. You've got to pass through, through a gate, and the key to that gate is thanksgiving and praise. You, you need those to enter in first. It's not something you can... So if this was a gate, you can't just kind of suddenly access it automatically. It's a face step that needs to happen. Maybe it's in prayer. Maybe you feel powerless and like your prayers are achieving nothing. 
So do we consider that I'm feeling powerless and my prayers are achieving nothing? Or do we consider the word and say, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So do we say, oh, I feel powerless or, oh, the Holy Spirit. Jesus died on the cross that released the Holy Spirit to all believers. So now I have power to be a witness and then to uh, be equipped and to get the gifts of the Spirit and then to bring my friends to church and to witness to, to Norwood, to Adelaide, to South Australia and to Australia and to the rest of the world. Luke 10, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. So we have the power and authority in prayer. We just need to consider it first. And if we say, right, I'm going into prayer with power and authority, not, oh, I've had a horrible week and I, all I can see at the moment is a horrible week and you know my boss is, is kind of trampling on me and people don't listen to me and all this sort of stuff. Or do I have power and authority and do I consider the word first? Maybe it's in our finances. Do I hold back from giving because... The economy, the, you know, the GFC and the post-GFC and the post-post-GFC and all the stuff that's going on and these crashes and, and these, these, this volatility and this government situation and unemployment. So, so do I kind of hold on to my money to stop giving or do I, because that's all I can see. All I can see is me in that situation or do I consider the word and say, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19. Now, I want to share something cool with you just to encourage you in your giving. Uh, who remembers in February this year, we had a Vision Day service and a Vision Day offering? I didn't make this connection until later this week, but on Monday, we got the news that what we sowed into the Vision Day offering, we would reap 10 times. Uh, I, I can't give particulars yet for a couple of weeks but that 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 amount we sowed in we will reap exactly 10 times uh in the coming months so yeah give god glory so i could have held back in that situation so we could have held back carmen and i it was a joint decision we we had some money and we could say oh, i'm gonna hold on to this because you know save it for a rainy day or I'm going to have faith in Christ. I'm going to stand on the word that says have faith because and my God shall supply all needs and use that opportunity to give to God and trust in God that that can return. And as the word says, it was returned to us, pressed down, shaken together and is multiplied. Maybe when it comes to sickness, maybe when it comes to mental health, anxiety, any sort of infirmity, what, what, do we, what do we see? Do I look at the circumstance? Do I look at my illness? Do I look at my injury? Do I look at how, how I'm feeling about things? Is that all I see? Is it just a reflection of that circumstance, that situation? Or do I consider the word first and say, therefore, whatever you ask for in prayer, you will have it. Do I consider that mentioned in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Bible says he took up our infirmities and bore our diseases on the cross. So we've been talking about the gospel of Jesus and when he died on the cross, he took the curses of the world upon himself, which were sickness, 
death and infirmity. So do I, do I look at my circumstance? Do I look at the injury, sickness? Or do I say, Jesus, by his stripes I am healed. He took up our infirmities and he bore our diseases. It may be in mental health. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a timidity of power, love, and self-discipline. In Hebrews 13, he says, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you, and he will never let the righteous be shaken. Psalm 55. Maybe it's my family history. Maybe my family has never amounted to much. And actually, it's kind of, I don't know if it relates to anybody who just thought of it, up until my sister graduated last year, no one in my family, my parents or the four siblings, had ever had a degree. Last year, my sister was the first one to graduate with a degree in, that, in two generations. Now, that hasn't stopped any of us going out and doing stuff, but maybe that's an example of something that, because oh, my family never amounted to much, that, that I'm not going to, to try and amount to much. Or maybe the, the family saying things, or do I consider, yeah, maybe, maybe I, I don't know my family because they're not around. Maybe I don't know all of them, I know some of them. Or do I consider that the Bible says that Jesus died upon the cross, that we are adopted into his family. We're sons and daughters of the king. We have his bloodline and we have that authority. And so we can turn that around. And in Joshua, Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So, you know, I, I grew up in a Christian home. And even, even with that, I've made a decision that for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Whether you grew up in a Christian home or not, you have the opportunity to put a mark in the, in the generations and say, from this point on, our household, and, and it's not just me and my kids, it's me and my kids, 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 kids. I'm going to create a legacy like Joshua did. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Maybe you're struggling at work or in other circumstances. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. The family relationships, maybe they're not going so well. Malachi 4 6 says, He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. Romans 8 32, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? What, what I'd like to just do this morning is so the, the verse talked about if, if anyone comes in and gives you a different gospel let them be cursed and you know to, to not consider our experiences the things that might change the gospel and our perspective on how we look at things but to consider the bible first to consider the gospel the gospel of grace gospel where we we didn't earn anything we couldn't get anything just had to believe it's not an act of surrender it's an act of jesus already did it two thousand years ago just accept it maybe some of us this morning might have considered or might still be considering some of these things maybe it's sickness maybe it's anxiety maybe it's family situations maybe it's work maybe it's finances 
and they have been the things that all we can see. It's an opportunity this morning as we, in the last six weeks, we've got to the heart of the gospel, understanding that Jesus took our place on the cross. That all this worrying, all this putting the circumstance first is actually diverting from that plumb line, diverting from that center point of the gospel. And it's bringing us into the equation. It's not about just what Jesus did on the cross and gave us access to. If we could ask just everybody to, to stand this morning. Just to lift your hands this morning. Lift your hands to heaven and just to just pray that the Holy Spirit would be revealed to people right now. Maybe there's those situations or those circumstances where you've considered those things before the Bible. Maybe the key to the breakthrough is to bring the Bible first, to consider the Word consider the teaching, to consider the gospel, what Jesus did on the cross. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here this morning. Come move in our hearts, we pray. like to, if there's somebody this morning that has been stuck in that situation, stuck looking in the mirror, stuck looking at those circumstances and is needing a breakthrough, I just encourage you just to come forward onto the altar call, onto the altar area this morning and just to receive from Jesus, receive from the Holy Spirit, to consider his word and hear what he has to say to you this morning, to consider Jesus in the situation, to consider the Holy Spirit. It's not an act of compulsion. It's not a thing to do because others are doing it. It's a reaction to the grace of Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross, that we might live be forgiven of our sins, to be cleansed, to be made whole, to be healed. And our heart reactions to do nothing but surrender. Because He's already done it. Just while these people are here, just just encourage you to look away to Jesus, look away to the Holy Spirit, to look for answers, to hear what He has to say to you this morning. And there might be people in this room that have never encountered Jesus before, have never experienced the grace of Jesus to, to be in relationship with Him. As we've said, He's already done the work 2,000 years ago. He takes our sins, He took our sins, upon himself so that we may have eternal life and all we need to do is accept. I just wonder 
If there's anybody here this morning, in a moment, I'll just ask you to raise your, your hand to say, I'm ready to step into relationship with Jesus Christ. And then I'll ask you to come and join the others up the front and we'll pray with you if there's anybody here this morning. So if there's anybody that would like to receive Jesus, go into relationship with him this morning, has never done that before, I just ask you to raise your hand nice and high so I can see that. Is there anybody that has, maybe has been in church for a while, has never encountered, so he's been in church for a while but might have drifted or kind of lost focus and needs to come back into relationship with Jesus. If there's anybody like that this morning, I just ask you to raise your hands nice and high so I can see and we'll ask you to come forward join the others up the front. Fantastic. You have an opportunity every week in our church to do that. So I encourage you to consider. But let's, church, let's reach out. If you, if you, have, if you haven't stepped out, but you need something, I encourage you, there's still an opportunity to come forward. There are people encountering God up here right now. It's not about anything I've done. Not about, I haven't laid hands on anybody. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the grace of Jesus. So if you need something where you are, if you need to come and consider the word in light of your, before your circumstances, to kind of change the priorities around, I encourage you to, make a physical step for that but let's everybody else just to reach forward let's just support these people in prayer and let's just kind of look away to Jesus and kind of worshipping this morning let's pray and believe for breakthrough for people in the circumstances because sometimes you know we, we, we have a little chuckle we have a little laugh but sometimes these circumstances can be quite huge and, and it's there's no there's no blame for anybody doing kind of getting that mixed up because we've all done it, we've all stumbled, we've all so we need to join with our brothers and sisters this morning and, and support them in prayer because sometimes these situations represented in the mirror they could seem astronomical, huge. Some of us couldn't even conceive what might be going through people's lives right now. So let's join together and just pray that and believe that Jesus is touching people this morning.
Now, there might be those that might not have seen that sort of thing before. That's just the Holy Spirit. His presence sometimes can be so overpowering, but so gentle at the same time. And there's nothing to do in full surrender, but just to surrender. And, and that's, that's all that's going on is the Holy Spirit is touching people's lives. Sometimes people might cry, like me. Sometimes people might fall over. Sometimes people might get excited. It's the Holy Spirit. Can't explain it all, but He's coming. And it's, it's not me. I didn't push anybody over. It's just His presence just flows through. When you lay hands on people, even without laying hands on people, you saw people getting touched already.